On today's episode of the Halloween 365 podcast, we step into the slaughtered lamb for a pint with Max Landis. It's coming. Leave me alone. He doesn't believe in you. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? Yeah, we can. <laughs> Welcome back to the Halloween 365 Podcast. It is the only podcast that is horror 24-7 and Halloween 365. And we've got a hell of an episode. That is correct. God damn, we do have a hell of an episode. As you are watching this right now at the top of the hour, we've already had our interview with uh, Sir Max Landis. It was a wonderful, wonderful episode. Probably my favorite episode that we've done. Uh... I almost feel like we should have saved this for like our 100th episode. You're going to rub it in on Jeremy. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Jeremy couldn't join us at the at the beginning of it. Yeah. But he's here with us now. And, uh, uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Sorry, Jeremy. Sorry about that. Just the same as I'm uh, sorry to report that there are 254 days until Halloween. It's a long time. This. I'm sorry. I couldn't. I would have loved to have been don't listen to him, Max. He's a goddamn no, liar. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Bad, <laughs> I'm kidding. Man. I'm totally kidding. Um, yeah, no, it was a very interesting episode. Uh, I, I wanted to just take this moment to reflect a small amount about some of the stuff that we you, you'll hear yourself as you listen to this episode. Uh, if you're a fan of American Werewolf, if you're a fan of DC, if you're a fan of wrestling, you're not going to want to miss this episode. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope to one day get him back on here to dive into a little bit more. Um, we don't have any Halloween news at this exact moment that I'm aware of. Hmm. Uh, Scream is around the corner. I know Evil that uh, there is a... What was that? Say Evil Dead's just a couple months away. Evil Dead as well. Yeah, just a couple months away. I kind of keep forgetting about that. Um... Yeah, I, I can't think of anything. Like I said, this is going to be a long episode, so just buckle up and enjoy. Enjoy every aspect of it. So without further ado. All right, so I am absolutely blown away right now. I, I'm actually fucking stoked that we have Max Landis on the goddamn podcast Woo! today, man. Like, this is so fucking cool. How are you, dude? I'm good. I'm exhausted, and I feel like I look exhausted. I was out late last night. It was very strange. I went to a New Orleans party in Santa Monica. They had a brass oh. band. It's pretty cool. Oh, nice. That That's really cool. awesome. And we all had, we watched Sami Zayn lose to Roman Reigns on the big oh, screen. God damn it. I did the I same so thing, mad. but on a smaller God, screen yeah. and no party. <laughs> it deflated no the party. Uh, it, 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 was it was everybody just like kind of fucking like it was you know it was a this. party of like a lot of different people but there was the big mm. gang who all like wrestling so like yeah, at one point yeah. in the party like an influx of 15 bummed out dudes and five bummed out girls all entered the party from a room at the same time miserable <laughs> and just the energy dropped through the floor oh man we were actually like, well, talking about that before we all got on uh this for the podcast and one of the things that chad said is a very good point that if they were ever going to put the title on sammy last night was the night because it was lightning in a bottle it was one of the moments that you don't get again it was like cm punk energy in chicago 
when he was about to strip, you know, you know, right when he was making his exit, right? Like that's the same energy. Yeah, yeah it was like it was like when Cena had the title and he was coming through the ECW crowd and they were hitting him with trash and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know what? Man. And then there's related moments to those moments emotionally and sort of storytelling wise, because there's Tr- Drew and Cardiff, you know, that, that total moment. And then it ended so weirdly with the sing along yeah. and the whole, after such an emotional yeah. build. And what's, what's really strange about Drew and Cardiff is it's so, it seems similar to Sammy in Montreal, but really they're really different because Drew had already had the title. What twice mm-hmm. at that point? Yeah. Doesn't yeah, mean well, that yeah, yeah. Like empty arena, you know, well, well, for the first wave, right? Was, was yeah, it, no, he got another. He got a full arena pop, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did. Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, that yeah. second Drew Rain where it was like, oh sure, okay. Yeah. Damn. Was there a second Drew Rain? There I, was, wasn't there? You know, I feel like yeah, I, I could have swore that maybe I'm late stage Vince McMahon but... dementia booking. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I thought that he had that big. His, I thought his biggest rain was during COVID, whenever they were doing the Thunderdome stuff. That was the big rain. That yeah, was that was the first. Yeah. That was the first one where he killed yeah. Lesnar, and that had yeah. that great. That would have had a great WrestleMania build too, because the build started with Ricochet hitting Lesnar in the nuts. Agreed. And so yeah. Ricochet yeah. was like oh, weirdly weaved into it, and like it. Oh God, there's been a lot of good WWE. Got a lot of good wrestling on TV. Are, are you? Um... Well, I mean, in general, you know, a lot of good wrestling. Uh, what, what do you think of AEW? Like, like, what, what is your? I think right that? now it's the cracks are showing in a way that is infuriating. I think more mm-hmm. often than not, I think more often than not, AW programming is better than WWE pro- programming from top to bottom. Because For really, sure. WWE programming feels like a lot of filler we're half invested in the main plots. Whereas AEW, it really is more of a choose your own adventure of who's getting over with you at that moment. <laughs> That's a good way at this moment, it, yeah. except for what's starting to happen is the fact that the the secret sauce of Vince McMahon's WWF, the unspoken, or maybe it is spoken behind the scenes. Who knows? I worked for the WWE for a little while. I never heard of it talked this talked about this way, but it's right there out in the open. The secret sauce of WWE, the emotion booking of the Attitude Era, and all that is the fact that they started writing it like a comic book universe. They they basically started, instead of writing it like a wrestling promotion, suddenly everyone was crossing over with everyone and you never knew whose storyline was going to intertwine with whose. And when wrestling is at its best, you feel like you're watching a premium television. When modern, sorry, I shouldn't say this, when modern TV wrestling is at its best, you feel like you're watching a premium television program on amc back in the day or hbo max or you feel like you're watching a good fucking tv show that Mm -hmm. even more because it operates on this other primal level of like investment because it's a it's sport kind of and like aw does not feel like that right now aw feels like a bunch of it doesn't it did when it first started yeah when it first started i was so fucking immersed i was like this is it this is this is i I didn't want to say this is the wwe killer because i don't think anything's ever going to topple that that's an empire. No, as a fan Fine. of WWE, I was scared at that point when AEW because they were on a and now it's really really starting to look I don't know what is going not correct as it was before, but now it's really starting to remind me of WCW days whenever they started winding down. Oh no. Messy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah it's not why are, Jericho's just oh, poor Jericho. What the oh, hell man. is his deal? He's so good at his job. Why is it like this right now? I don't know. Like he just keeps, 
I know they keep saying he's reinventing himself over and over and over again, but it's like, that's cool. The wrestling's consistent, but the storytelling is not consistent at all. So it's weird on the same topic of wrestling on the topic of horror and the leading off your storytelling, what you just said, uh, Chad, Max, what do you think about the Bray Wyatt thing right now? Because I'm a huge Bray Wyatt fan. We needed somebody to replace The Undertaker, but I don't know how to take what's happening currently. So we'll circle back to Jericho. That I feel so delighted to be asked this question. And let me just say, Wyndham Rotunda, the guy who, behind all these characters, I think he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, Bray Wyatt doesn't work. He's never worked. It never, the booking has never delivered on the character. He hasn't even really delivered on the matches. This guy's character was ultimately built on the back. The, the, the superheat elevation came off the back of a feud with the shield that told you that these guys were the main eventers of the future. The thing about the shield that made them different from other invading groups like the Nexus or anything was that they were presented like three individual main eventers who right. were now the watchdog, who were main event level guys somehow yeah. who had come from nowhere, who were now the watchdogs of CM Punk and then the authority. And the, it, it was this whole intertwined thing that allowed this uh, sort of soliloquizing Bayou mystic to to seem like a a really cool in-depth thing, but they mm-hmm. never committed to it. They never explained who the Wyatts were. They've never explained how the magic works. They've never really given this character a backstory. I know what happened to Undertaker. I know exactly what happened. That's a his really good point. His mother and father were murdered after his, after his father's assistant at the morgue had an affair with his mom. And then in his childhood... This dude raised him, but had sacrificed his parents and maybe maybe three little girls in order to get dark energy inside of an urn. And so he had this huge hulking guy and he was like, I know how to make money with this guy. We'll put him in fighting competitions. And lo and behold, <laughs> this thing, the Undertaker, this like mindless drone Hulk built off the murder of his parents was used as a slave by a sick, depraved weirdo in fighting competitions. And then when he lost control of him, he revealed something even darker. He had kept his burned half-brother in the basement for years, who had grown into an even bigger guy. And he was even scarier. And he put a mask on this guy and get how fucked up this is. He told this guy he was burned when he wasn't. And so this guy always wore a mask because he was afraid to show his face. Like Undertaker and Kane, it's like a comic book. Yeah, fuck yeah, it Ray is. Why 100%. Is guy doing movie quotes. You think you're in control? Follow the buzzards. These are all quotes from other things. Oh, what are you fucking <laughs> yeah. Comic-Con yeah. fanboy in a fucking Hawaiian shirt doing fucking Cape Fear, Robert De Niro? Like, give me a fucking break, dude. Stop saying, oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, brother, when I'm in the darkness. Who gives a fuck, dude? The, the Firefly yeah. Funhouse match is like one of the best, coolest, most inventive, wonderful, surreal commentaries on wrestling ever. He created, he's already a legend. Wyndham Rotunda in my eyes, he did it. He's brilliant. The, the stuff with the shield, all of it, he's brilliant. He did it. He should have beaten The Undertaker at Mania. He didn't. Oh, he God. Never yes, he should have. Yes, that one big win in the Elimination Chamber uh. that felt. Remember with AJ and Cena? Sorry, I could talk about it's, if you can't. No, tell, no, 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 you're no. good. The whole Dude, Undertaker we're, thing. We're, we're unapologetically me. wrestling fans. Here. Sorry, I'm, I'm on one though. No, and where's no, the no, no? Where, what are the Wyatt Six? 
Why is this taking so long? Yeah. What, I don't understand that. See, uh, they're, 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 the fucking puppets, they're, 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 they're what? I, I don't I don't get it now. Like, we've got those <laughs> people, people playing. They're people. I like, really don't want happened? a man in is a bunny a suit coming out to wrestle. I really no, I don't. No, I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> uh, it's and, and, uh, I know. It's Uncle like, Howdy. They're, like the like they're the new rosebuds. Oh, no. Please, no. Oh, <laughs> it, so but is captain howdy like Uncle howdy shit captain howdy. <laughs> see that's the other thing the howdy shit right like i love when la knight called him yeah it is it's straight up from the exorcist is that like his like, cane is he like the undertaker no, and that's his oh, cane? It's oh oh it's not clear that's the thing is this undertaker and cane is a comic book storyline made real yeah bray wyatt shit is all cirque du soleil and clowning and mm-hmm. I'm not saying clowning like he's a clown. I'm saying clowning like the French art of clowning. Like mm-hmm. like these exaggerated, campy displays. You know, the moment uh, the moment where Captain Howdy jumped off the thing and murdered LA Knight by not touching him, that was pure by that was pure clown when they all came up like that. That's my friend Lydia's a clown in LA. You meet these people and she's brilliant. But <laughs> she she talks about wrestling in terms of clowning and it really changes how I look at it because some of it's yeah. really like when fucking Thatcher comes out, that's not clowning until he's yeah. making faces. And then it kind of is. And it's like this weird wrestling's So fucking cool. I'm sorry. I could talk it, wrestling. No, it's awesome. I, I fucking love I'm wrestling. Glad we started um, off on a wrestling conversation, dude. I, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's perfect. Elimination chamber being last night. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a little heartbroken about Sammy not winning. I mean, of course I knew he wasn't going to, fucking win but at the same time it's just like if there was ever a moment you guys miss the window because now it's going to be overshadowed by cody no offense to cody love cody but you 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 know know, i I just you missed the window you know how to do you know what would have done it right i i want to hear your take let's hear you want to hear my pitch yeah i do i i need to know i need to know I mean, you really want to hear? Because I know exactly what would have done it and maybe one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Let's. Okay, so Montreal, Jay's in the ring. You know, the, the match is played out like it's played out. Jay's in the ring. Roman hands him the chair. Jay puts down the chair. Roman fighting with Jay, fighting with Jay, Sami Zayn, low blow Roman. Ref still out. Sami Zayn, title shot on Roman. Jay like, what the hell? Montreal crowd going crazy, but wait for the replay on Monday. Jay's like horrified because he just distracted Roman and Sami Zayn low blowed him, which is the ultimate betrayal. Title shot on Roman. Fucking Roman down, one, two, three. Sami Zayn That's ends it. Roman's in Montreal after a low blow and a title shot via accidental distraction by mm-hmm. Jay Uso. Yeah. yeah. Sami Zayn in the ring, both titles. End of yeah. Montreal. Right. How Usi is that? It would have been really cool. <laughs> the good Jay. thing about that happening would have been that they could have even led off with a Roman and Jay at WrestleMania to settle their score and stuff. Wait, wait for it, man. I'm still not done with Elimination Chamber. Oh. Are you ready? Oh, here we go. Sorry, here we go. Uh, no, no, no. Let's... Sammy on the turnbuckle. 
two titles. Jay in the ring, looking up at Sammy, horrified. Sammy looks back at Jay and goes like this. Jay spun around, stunner by Kevin Owens. Jay out of the ring. Sammy to this Kevin, and they embrace. In Montreal, huge pop. Monday night on Raw. None of you people believed in me. You didn't really think I was going to do it. Because I know this whole time there's been a conspiracy against me. I thought it was in the company. It was all of you. Oh, we love you, Sammy. You're so good, Sammy. Where were you when Kevin Owens broke my back and stole my title? Where have you been for years? I was right. You laughed at me during Jackass. Well, who's laughing now? I am not having a match with Cody Rhodes for the main event of WrestleMania. It's not happening. I was injured in the match last night after the cruel attack by Jay Uso. Jay's music hits. Mini feud between Sammy and Jay leading into Mania. Sammy says he's not going to fight Cody. Roman going insane in the bloodline and alienating everyone because he doesn't have the titles anymore to the degree that he starts crying in a main event on SmackDown and like loses to Rick Boogs. <laughs> like, like going into Mania. It's like tragic. And Roman's oh, like, Christ, like, his life's falling apart. Oh. Paul Heyman leaves him. Roman is going to be on night. Uh, Sammy gets Cody on night one. Cody beats Sammy on night one, except for Roman manages to finagle his way insane Roman for the main event on night two. Cody beats Roman on night two. It's a triple threat spread out across two nights. Cowardly heel, monster heel. If you turn Sammy, if he won and then you turned him heel right there, you saved it. Yeah. You saved it. It'd be crazy. See, my favorite thing, my favorite thing that you mentioned about that. I love it because it goes it's but full circle back to conspiracy. Yeah, he's just fucking insane. love that. He's just I love insane. It, you know? like, the automatic so hill good. turn would be something that's needed. Something that yeah, yeah. is unexpected. How many times can you be like, oh, poor Sammy? We all knew he was going to lose. Mm-hmm. Imagine the character. Fuck all you people. Oh, you're cheering me out of It would have been cool. Yeah, yeah to, his own, awesome. to his own crowd, like it would have been... It would have been cool. It would have been cool. I never needed this place. (laughs) So so I have to ask. I have to ask. This kind of goes into one of my questions. Um, I'm sorry. I'm on a wrestling tangent. No, let's go. Let's go. go. Um, Who who taught you how to pitch? Like, is is this like all throughout my film school stuff? Everybody always kind of hit me with the elevator pitch. You got to do the elevator pitch. You've got this, this window, you know, it's like, you can't escape that. Who taught you? I figured like, it out. I had to figure it out. You just figured it I, out. I, I, my parents, um, especially my dad, uh, is mm-hmm. an incredible storyteller to the degree that he has almost a, a like a almost a, a, the way he talks almost has a musicality to it, where it's very easy to listen to, and he talks yeah. constantly, and both of my parents talk constantly, and the way to talk to them is in sort of that language, and oh. this sort of language of storytelling. So I, and you know, my parents are like film nuts. So, and and they're both super, they, they're not just in the industry and they're not just legends of the industry, but they are, I love them. Sorry. But they, no, they're fucking awesome. Your mom and dad both. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I'm a fan, but they're also like, they really love movies. Like they're real nerds. Like they, they would get along with most people I know because they, they just love movies. This comes from a deep place. And my dad loves horror. And like, so 
I was constantly being told movies by my dad when I was a kid. He would say like, oh, you haven't seen this? It's this, 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 and this. And eventually I, I got so fascinated with sort of the idea of being able to tell a story and being able to convey images with words and convey emotions with words that I never practiced. I never like got good at it. But over time, it became the way that I talk. One of, one of the weird things about just me as a human being is that I talk in this sort of ebullient forward way that, that fits for pitching. Yeah. So, so it sounds, it kind of always sounds like I'm pitching. Um, I don't know. No one really taught me. It's just something I love because I, I have it's ideas all natural. the time. And if you're not being interesting with them, then you shouldn't. You've, you've ever sat through a boring pitch? Oh, fuck yeah. It's like yeah. torture. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. It's a horrible emotional experience. Cause it's like, I'm not connecting with your story, dude. It's, it's mm, not yeah. just not all the way there. And like, you have to be good at pitching just to save the people who are listening to you. Cause otherwise they're going to be like, help me. <laughs> so did you ever have a moment like where, um, maybe it's like, okay, you've got this, this, this window, right? Like that, that 30, well, it's not 30 minute window, but that's, you know, a long form if you're going to get lucky enough to get 30 minutes. But you know, the, like I was saying, the elevator pitch, like, did they ever, is of course. A moment oh, yeah. I, 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 like, I, oh, you I have to do it. I, I, I did that many times in my career. Um, many, many times, way more times is than it, I got things made. Uh, <laughs> is it harder for you to do that? Cause you're a very well articulated person. Well, like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> and, and to me, it's like, I feel like if I had as, as much like that, that massive amount of a story to tell, like, are the execs looking at you like, get the fuck out of here? Like, oh, I, I don't know. How does that work? Oh, it's not. Oh, dude. See, that's okay. I can actually like give you advice that actually is helpful. Um, okay. Which is yeah. rare that you can, that you can. Okay. So this is cool. So pitching is never about the amount of story you have to tell. It's never about what you're trying to tell. It's never about anything because it's an experience with another human being in a room or on a phone or on a zoom, it has to be tailored to that human being. You, the, the listener is a participant in the telling of a story. And the further you get away from the listener, the, the less you're paying attention to how much they're paying attention to you, what they're interested in, the harder it becomes to even get and convey what you need to convey. For me, always pitching is not a pitch in the sense that I'll go, Here's act one. And this happens. I've been asked to talk about an idea with a person and try to get them to understand why it's good and why they should make it and why they should like it. And it's one of my yeah. ideas and I love it. So yeah. <laughs> it's not like I'm going in to sell a shoe. What, yeah. I, what, I'm, what I'm talking about has no objective value. I have to prove through a conversation that my idea for mm. made up thing, you see what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. yeah, 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 about yeah, yeah. hitting it's... the beats of a story because that's not, that's not what the pitch is. You get into that when you have to explain your idea, but I yeah. always approach it rather than as a sort of um, regimented structured thing. I always approach it as who's this person I'm talking to. What might like, okay, they're at this company. What might they actually be looking for in a movie? How is yeah. my movie like that? How is my idea like the thing they want? Sincerely, because otherwise you end up in a situation where you can't deliver on what they want or you kind of mishmash it. You don't get across what you think is good about your idea. 
So you have to just read them, talk to them, and you're never under any pressure at the end of the day to get the whole story out uh, because yeah. you're never, you're never rushing, rushing it. If they're listening, they'll just listen. If someone, if your meeting ends and you're not done explaining the story and the executive is like, hey, I have to go, but I want to hear the rest of this. You yeah. sold that pitch. That's, yeah. Okay. You sold yeah. that pitch. So, but but then at the same time, if you're there and someone's checking their watch, you got to see that they're checking their watch. You got to yeah. see that. You see what I'm saying? That's my advice yeah, on yeah. it, is to tr always approach it as a conversation about your idea. The whole term pitch is like, Kind of iffy. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? It makes it sound like you're selling a car. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes it sound like you're throwing a ball. You know, there's no ball. Yeah. There's <laughs> See, that, that, that's what always scares me about that. I, mean, I wouldn't say it scares me. It's just like, you, you, I, I love the way you pitch things. Like, that's, that's, that's one of the things that, like, you know, that's how I, I, I discovered uh, you through, like, one of my other buddies who's a screenwriter as well. And I'm like, holy shit it's like you made it look so fucking awesome to to be a screenwriter and that's what got me into wanting to be a screenwriter and it's just it's so fucking cool and uh the, the pitching is something that i wouldn't say that i've always had problems with but it's something that i've always found hard like a hard time compressing things it's like to, to get that point across to people who may or may not be interested in my ideas so that that's that is awesome like, well, like, it's good to take a peek and decide that you look into you look into the best pitches the the best sorry I, I didn't mean to cut you off no you're fine i was done i was I'll done <laughs> into like the best some of the best hook pitches and some of them are really easy like yeah. like it's very easy to find the hooky thing about the idea even if they're really out there ideas like if i told you okay so this guy is so miserable and can't sleep that he starts going to cancer support groups and he doesn't have cancer, but he's going to cancer and suicide support groups every night instead of sleeping. And his life at his office job is falling apart. He gets infatuated with a woman who does the same thing as him and goes to these groups for fun. So he's going down this dark road with her. And then he meets a guy uh, on a plane who's like everything he's not. The coolest, hottest, most interesting guy in the world. And this guy lives this rugged lifestyle in this house in the edge of town. And they get involved in this thing. And one night, you know, they're in this weird friendship. And one night, outside of a bar, the cool guy tries to get him to hit him. And they start beating each other up. And that becomes part of their friendship. They beat each other up every night until other guys start joining them, beating each other up, beating each other up. And then it becomes a cult terrorist movement. The one guy realizes, oh, my fucking God. I am now at the heart of a criminal organization, except for all roads lead to him. It appears that he's the leader when he knows that it's the cool hot guy who started all this surprise. He wasn't sleeping for too long. The cool hot guy and him are the same guy, but he realizes this way too late to cause a society disrupting terrorist attack. That's fight club. And it's easy to yeah. see why it's yeah. a good idea. Every single it's, thing it's, I just said is awesome. cool. What? Yeah, everything about it, like every every little minute detail. Every tiny up. thing, and I left yeah. out so much. Like I didn't. But you, the, the core. It doesn't core feel like there. you did, though. You hit the, you hit the, 
the good yeah. parts. Yeah. Uh, it's well, because you're hitting these hooks and mm-hmm. it's like, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. That's a, that's why the matrix, the matrix I think was written as a script, but that's one of the best pitches of all time. Cause it goes hook, 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 hook. It does hooks all the way till it's playing the chorus till the end of the movie. That and then the final is- shot is another iconic thing. That Every is very true. Do you see what I'm saying? Every yeah, single yeah, scene yeah. is so pitching the matrix is like, and then this hat, you're like jumping around, you know? And like, it's always about finding those hooks and the, the things that are hooky, the things that are cool and captured someone's imagination. So let me ask you this too. Um, sorry. I'm just trying to, no, I, know no, I'm love- I don't know what, I don't know what your time is, but I'm having, no, I'm having lots of fun. I got it. Okay. I awesome. Great. I like talking about this. Shit, um, you can't tell. So it, it, I, recently, I, well, I it's it's been about what eight months since you uploaded the video for uh, your Ghostbusters three. Oh yeah, uh, uh, treatment, I guess, if you will. Um, did you ever have a moment where, like, in your head, maybe you're like, "Fuck, maybe I should pitch this to Jason or or Ivan." Did you or, not like, hear? Like, did you not hear the story? No, like, I mean, I, I watched the video, but like, maybe there's something in there that I missed. Like, was there ever a moment where it's like, because I know you referred to it as fan fiction. No, right? I pitched it. I pitched it. I pitched it. And I almost. Oh, so you fucking really yeah, pitched said, it. They said I almost got it, but then there was the, thing oh, the God. email. That's what the first half of that video is about, was the process God of me damn. trying to pitch it. And See, I thought it was referred to as just fan fiction. I no, didn't know it was not actually fan pitched it. No, which I did, oh and God, people really it's liked so fucking it. Cool, uh, but I never it's got good. to. I never got to like meet Jason or Ivan or anything. I was talking oh, to Mike DeLuca yeah. at that point, who's this brilliant executive who's behind so many movies you love. Um, across he's been all around Hollywood for like twenty five years, and he's like, mm. you know, there's a, these executives. What's so weird about them is they play, as you've seen in films recently, a huge amount creatively without really having credits on the movie. So there are executives who are the film executive equivalent of Steven Spielberg or, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But yeah, never hear their names unless you really know about the business of Hollywood. But there are so many guys who I can think of off the top of my head, guys and girls, men and women who are behind movies because they were sort of like, well, what if it was more like this? And then, and then that's the cool thing about the movie. Yeah. Like, what if we went a little further instead of the classic executive note of what if we didn't go as far? What if we cut it back? What if we, they don't always do that. Sometimes yeah. they, they pitch things to you in the room that are dumb or terrible, but then occasionally you're like, oh, this is how you got this job. Yeah. I'm now so it's like a writer's room. Yeah. It's like, it becomes, well, because they're at studio filmmaking, you know, I don't know if it's right or wrong, the executive system, but you're, there's such a stewardship of so much money, mm-hmm. you know, that, that an investment in art, it is at the end of the day, befuddlingly an arts industry and they're investing in these massive art projects. And there has mm-hmm. to be someone there to be like, Hey, maybe don't go a hundred million dollars yeah. over budget. <laughs> You know, like, like, do we really need that explosion? It's this, like, yeah. Did Alexander, did that movie really need to exist? Yeah. Couldn't that yeah, funny yeah, have been yeah. used to feed the the hungry? It's 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 very fascinating, and like the the thing about like Ghost, your your version of Ghostbusters three, like I'm not knocking the uh, the one that we got. It's it wasn't bad. Like I mean, I didn't hate it. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of the 
uh, the, the, the all-female reboot, not because they're female, just because it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I don't think it was many people's cup of tea. <laughs> it just didn't click. Not a, <laughs> you know, that's not, at this point, I don't even think you're at the point where you need to say not because they're female. I yeah, yeah. It's just, it oh, I skipped that on the tea completely. I didn't even take a sip. A he didn't even, I didn't. Like, Fuck this. It's a strange, it's um, a strange movie. It's legitimately, yeah. I think both of them are strange. I, I don't they know. They are. They are. But I also yeah. think Ghostbusters 2 is a strange movie. It, it, it is. It is yeah. very weird. But, it's, like, you know, it's, it's weird. It's my favorite one. Really? It's my favorite one. I don't know why. Like, I, I don't. I think because I remember renting this movie as a kid just always wanting That's Ghostbusters 2. Maybe, maybe it was the It's got to be the like, renting. It's, because it's be the personally, I, I could have been done with. I mean, one was great. Fantastic. And it could have been left as that. I, like my parents hated it. Like they were like, "Why do you want to rent this fucking second movie all the time?" All I wanted I like to do, second fucking movie. What I wanted to do with Ghostbusters was sort of uh, I, what I wanted to do was deliver on the Ghostbusters movie all everyone kind of already thinks exists, um, mm. because you know Ghostbusters isn't Ghostbusters. Like people talk about Ghostbusters, but when they think about Ghostbusters, what they're really thinking about is sort of a cultural melange of like ten different things, including the real Ghostbusters cartoon show, where like. People forget that you only see them bust one fucking ghost in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, true, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's I, so I wanted to write like this big ghost busting apocalypse sci-fi movie with all different cool tech and really funny and really sarcastic. And, and, you know, I wanted to bump it down, you know, PG 13 and, and just offer something sort of bigger and more heartfelt than a reboot or a revamp. I, I yeah. always think schools are braver and more ambitious and I think they're more interesting movies that that choose to sequel instead of reboot. Um, I, I, and that's why I loved the J.J. Abrams Star Trek is because it's it good. You, well, midway through it, it went like this. I am actually a sequel. And it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, cool. Oh, thank yeah, you, dude. It's, it's yeah. Fast. It was like yeah, it, it. that moment felt really like good. And you know what else? You know what else felt great recently was uh, the Chip and Dale movie. You know what? I still I haven't seen it. See it yet. I've been you, waiting. I love it. I do need to see it. It's really funny. Do you guys do you, have you seen Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping? I have seen that. I have not. <laughs> I have seen that. It's it's a very unique movie. I'll yeah, tell you so that that's right now. Chippendale. They did a Chippendale oh, movie. It feels shit. like that. It's, okay. It's nuts. Okay. So I'm sold. So yeah, we, no, it's it's um with with, with sorry, Jericho. No. Oh no! Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> the conversation. No, what were you going to say? Uh, uh, oh no, 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 no. Um, basically, I was just saying, like, I, I think one of the things, like, I was kind of going back to the Ghostbusters two thing. I know I'm fucking addicted to it. No, it's okay. Um, I'm into it. Uh, one of the things that in in your pitch was, you know, the the sequence again, you know, with uplifting everybody, like in Ghostbusters two. It's the one callback to that that weird bizarre movie and i, and I don't oh, know yeah. it just it warmed me i was like yes with yes somebody Henderson with ghost when everybody yeah it's in new york i love City. it i love it the images yeah, oh it's, man the images i had i forgot sorry what were you gonna say oh no that that's pretty much it i was just saying i, I i'm glad that you didn't um shy away from the second movie no i love it's it's an important part of the mythology in my movie (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 like an important because it happened you're not gonna put it on the shelf and you know i made sort of made everything canon 
You know, like yeah. it's implied yeah. extreme Ghostbusters may have happened at some point in the past, but because there have been all these different Ghostbusters teams and like, but there's one thing, it bummed me out because that scene where, where uh, Veronica Spangler goes to uh, the street and everybody's partying the scene right before that, I didn't pitch it because the pitch was going too long, but there's this really cool scene where she's alone in New York during ghost apocalypse because all the other Ghostbusters have just reunited and are there, but she went yeah. out alone to try to shut down the building on her by her lonesome, like a strong female character. And there's yeah. this scene where she ghosts are flying everywhere in New York and you kind of get a Ghostbuster almost like saving Private Ryan where you're mm -hmm. running oh, through, fuck. except for it's cool except for it's funny shit happening all like so it's that like be, you know, it's, it's just like, fucking ectoplasm ectoplasm and, and like it's saving private ryan it's that scale but it's all comedy gag 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 but finally she ends up in a like an antique store and all of the ghosts who are attached to the antiques are coming to life and oh, so there was this sequence i got to pitch it in the room i didn't pitch it in my video but it's like the revenant with ghosts in in but funny where she's fighting in an antique store with a blaster and just blowing things up and keeps getting slimed. And by the end of it, she's covered in all different color ectoplasm. And that's when she's like beaten down and covered in dust and ectoplasm. And she hears the music playing and she's, and she walks up onto the street and she's like, what the hell is going on? And then they go whoop and they pick her up and she's yeah. like, yeah, we did it. So it's this huge uplift. <laughs> Like we're all that's back together. fucking awesome. Saving the day, uh, you know all that shit. For some reason, I thought when you were talking about the antiquity shop, my mind and I don't know why it instantly went to oh shit, there's gonna be Figo the Carpathian's gonna be in here or some shit. Like I don't know why. <laughs> that's just why. I don't know <laughs> Maybe he is. Maybe he is. I can oh. see that. I didn't include Vigo in it. Vigo the Carpathian. When I was a kid, when Dan Aykroyd turned around and his face was all scary. Oh, fucking scared the yes. shit out of me. <laughs> Fuck that. Well, that in the library goes kind of freaked me out, too. Um, yeah. yeah She's just, sillier yeah. now, but Dan Aykroyd is still... The library ghost was kind of, but for me, it was whenever she uh, she was levitating off the bed and Bill Murray's in there and he's observing her and stuff. It gave me exorcist vibes and I was not well, wanting was to see say, it. It's probably your exorcist. Oh, I was yeah, loving yes. her levitating off the bed. I was, I was, as a little boy, I was like... It's like this. Yeah, Gordy Weaver. Fascinating. I was discovering the Gordy Weaver. Pfeiffer Catwoman. That's the they dominated my childhood. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess it. Yeah, so, I guess you're um, right, Chad. I guess it just had me gave me a callback to The Exorcist being a terrifying. Well, that, that's the only thing you know. Well, The Exorcist scared the shit out of me. I yeah. watched that movie far too young. And, Same. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why. I remember every time I would fall asleep uh, during AMC Fear Fest, I would wake up. Right on the fucking TV, it's at the worst fucking parts imaginable. Either the head spinning or something bad is going on, and I'm just waking up to that half delusional, going, "Oh my god, like turn this shit off." But mm -hmm. at the same time, I can't look away. So The Exorcist. I uh, I didn't get into horror. I got into horror late. I got into horror like mm. 16, 17, because I was so easy to scare when I was a little kid. I was very easy. I was a very fright, fright, frightful little boy. And there was my dad's office was on the Universal lot. Oh, and they had, I would go to visit my dad's office and they had this big poster for child's play too. Oh, and it was just, the poster was just Chucky's face <laughs> like this. Like, and then Chucky with a, under it was Chucky. There's a, 
like a jack in the jack box. in a box oh, and he has a scissors yeah. and it says sorry jack chucky's back and That's Chucky's like cool that would have and fucked i was up. i was terrified of that poster I was terrified oh. of it. And I never saw Child's Play. If I'd seen Child's Play, I wouldn't have been as scared. Mm-hmm. Because Ch- Ch- yeah. he's Charles Lee Ray. He's a guy who doesn't exist. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how that works. Like, dolls are just fucking terrifying. They're so scary. I mean, they're just terrifying. Because the Chucky like, doll, always had dolls the in. Chucky doll is scarier than the character Chucky. The right. character yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. is more upsetting, especially Chucky 2. Ch- the Chucky 2 one... That's the, it's the eyebrows, that, right? Like, I <laughs> it's, it's, it's something to do with the eyebrows. I'm just like, oh man, it's, uh, I, you know, it's kind of, it's like, I always thought, you know, since I, I, for some reason, I mean, maybe they don't let him do this, but I always imagine that your dad would have probably kept some of the props from like American Werewolf or something. Just like, no, had them in the house or some shit. I mean, I mean, that's ages ago. My dad doesn't care about stuff like that. He's just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. He collects <laughs> other weird things, little miniature soldiers, yeah. pictures of gorillas, you know, like pictures of gorillas. He's his, he's, so, he's that's... his own weird guy. He, he, it's, it's, hey, that's an encyclopedia of film. We were shooting this yeah. insane thing. We were shooting this insane thing in the pool at my parents' house. This is this is what how I've been killing my time lately. I've been, we were shooting this insane thing in the pool, and my dad well, came out to see what we were shooting. And before we could start shooting, we went inside, and he was started talking about Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think so. No. No, I don't think I have. So I don't know what the Maybe fuck made him start talking about it. This is just a random John Landis story. This is from two weeks ago. So he just started talking about Darby O'Gill and the little people. And he was like, it's really visually stunning. And they use this specific type of, and he always, my dad always starts stories about movies the same way. He goes, have you ever seen? And then he says the most ridiculous movie title. You think he made it up? <laughs> and then when you go, no, he goes, you haven't seen Butterbubba, like oh, yeah, I'm so yeah, shocked. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the movie from 1963 that was only released in two theaters and no one ever talked about it again. <laughs> you didn't see it, and but then it's always some insane thing. So I've like now have this trained ear for it. Where he goes, yeah. you haven't seen Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and he sits down. My friends who are helping me shoot this thing, we have Crocodile Man in a swimming pool. Oh, with fog machine flashlights. It's totally ridiculous. And as we get pulled in and he puts on Darby O'Gill and the little people and starts talking about how they did the special effects, which is they, they built the sets really big and really small giant. Oh, they Lord of the Rings did. Like, like, yes. Right. They, yeah. they, wrote, yeah. they invented that the Lord of the Rings used the Darby O'Gill and the little people technique to make mm-hmm. the first perspective. The yeah. first perspective. Yeah. They do it at this. My dad then proceeds to like put it on Amazon. Fast forward through most of it. Oh, he was talking about Sean Connery. He was like, he was like Sean Connery's. I forget how he was talking about that, but he was like the Sean Connery's in this movie, and he proceeds to show us it. And if you ever, if you're watching this, and to you guys, Darville Gill, the little people, is really fucking cool. Like it looks. <laughs> I know what I'm gonna do today. Like that's what I'm gonna do. It looks really fucking yeah. crazy. That's that's my John Landis story of the no props, just stories. No, his brain, no props, just stories. Yeah. His brain is Man. like Wikipedia of movies. 
it's fucking hilarious though like i there's there's a few people that i've met like that where it's just like oh you haven't seen i have a buddy who watches every fucking thing like i mean like foreign porno flicks and i'm just like how the fuck do you keep track of all this stuff and he's like i just write it down in a note he writes everything down in a fucking notebook it's i don't know type of person yeah he's on another level but i respect it it's like i'm glad you have time for that my friend (laughs) my friend ari the rugged man is this rapper he's a fucking awesome guy he's he's like one of my favorite people on earth but he does this thing oh hold on this is my postmate sorry Oh my god, and it's such a good sound. There's probably just like fucking wandering around the house. Like they are, and they're calling me. Like, what? What? (laughs) What's going on? But I don't want to. It'll cancel it, and he can eat the sandwich. Okay, I'm back. What do you guys want? No, you're good. You're good. (laughs) Can I put? Can I put little excerpts of this? Are you? Does this go on YouTube? Uh, we we typically we just do it through Spotify. But yeah, we can we go. We'll we'll probably eventually upload to YouTube. Yeah. Could I put little excerpts from this on my YouTube? Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, Why not? yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay, I don't mind at all. Yeah, Chad, uh, he's the one that usually cuts the clips, and then I'll do like the socials and stuff. So yeah, yeah. So he's he's the social guy. I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> I'm the tech guy, I guess. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, yeah. So so this is this is a weird one because for the life of me, and I I don't know why I can't fucking find this pitch anymore that that existed out there at one point in time. This is like a long time ago. You made a pitch for an alien prequel. And I don't even know if you remember this. With the cavemen? Yeah. So, yeah. and I know, Prey, Prey kind of, kind yeah, they of really took did. that. Yeah, they really did. What is your thoughts on that? Did you ever oh. feel like, did you ever pitch that to someone? And it was like, I mean, I, damn well, it. I'll go you a step further. I pitched Alien with Native Americans. Uh, I, but oh. I, I, I don't think they're connected. I feel like I mean. I don't Sometimes think I, they're happens. not connected. I just yeah. think it's an obviously good idea. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes when you have an obviously good idea and then you and you're so excited about it and you see it that someone's done it or eventually does it, it doesn't necessarily mean they ripped you off. It means Exactly. You, it means you were right. It yeah. is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you just didn't get the opportunity. It's almost flattering. You know, yeah. it's, like, it, it's not even flattering, but validating, right? Like, yeah. like validating yeah for sure yeah validating. validating i feel so validated one of the weirdest journeys of my life was going to see the force awakens and and feeling really weird and bad after it and everybody being on this wave of the new star wars movies are the best thing in the world and then watching culturally the shift has been like such a, bur- a, a so psychological burden off of me because i feel it felt like i'd gone insane and sometimes you arrive, you arrive first to something because everything I said about the Force Awakens now is what people eventually said about all the Star Wars movies. It was just mm-hmm. I was just the first person to be like, "That's kind of weird. What the hell is yeah. this? Yeah. Like, this isn't right. Like, it's it, off. It wants to be Star Wars, but it wants to be Star Wars. Yeah, it's, it's like weird. Star Wars, except it it's I have all sorts of weird takes on that movie. No, oh, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I've had a lot of things that, that I pitched and then later a version of them got done. Or I've also been involved in stuff you don't know I'm involved in that, like, that I can't talk about and for various of reasons. Of course. Right, right. And, yeah, like, and it's been a really interesting, great ride. So when something like that happens, when something like Prey happens, Prey is different enough, you know? Yeah, it's it shit. And I'm doing a thing now. One of the projects I'm working on right now, just kicking around, seeing what I can do with it, is called At First Dark. And I'm mm-hmm. kicking it around with another artist. And 
it it's really cool. It's uh, humanity's first ever encounter with vampires. Oh, uh, and it, it it shot like a planet Earth kind of doc about oh, pre-verbal cool. cavemen, uh, and the pre a, a small tribe of pre-verbal cavemen, and it's like a documentary of the first time humanity dealt with the vampirism virus or gene oh, or dude, sign me the fuck up i i love that's that. super yeah, love yeah, that. yeah 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 i'm already on board and totally totally it's really like good-hearted too it's like really it's very human it's about what it means what separates us from animals and what it and what separates us from sort of our darker nature we really using the vampire stuff cool and what's really cool is there's no dialogue you know they they, they kind of mm. ah, 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 yeah oh yeah. oh you know, like that. And we got Neanderthals in it and we got, it's, it's really like, it's really cool. And so like that, that's sort of where that alien idea kind of ended up for yeah. ages. I, that's the caveman thing separate, but for ages, I wanted to do a trilogy called at first dark, which would be, it's pretty fucking cool. It's humanity's encounters with vampires, but 1 million years apart from each other. So the first one is cavemen. The second one is in the old West in the American Southwest. And then the third one is on a Venus orbiting satellite colony where a number of people from earth are being woken up out of hypersleep after being in hypersleep, after their ship got broken by something and has been orbiting Venus aimlessly for half a million years. And, and, and it's, that one's really cool. And like, and all of them would be vampire shit, but just in scenarios you've never seen it before. That, that's fucking awesome. Like I've yeah, never I'm heard of that trilogy. concept. Before. I'm already that's in and it's, it's not even been made and I'm already in. When, yeah. when are we? <laughs> and they, and <laughs> they like, share, who knows it'll ever get made? It's it. And they, they all share moments and, and they would have visual moments that echo each other, even though they don't share characters or anything. Yeah. And cer yeah. certain mistakes people make in early ones, they don't mis make, people don't make in later ones. And certain smart things people do in early ones when they're more primal, people don't do in later ones. So you I see like how little callbacks just like, Oh, that's so fucking dope. Yeah. Cause the only one that has uh, like a happy, happy ending is the Western. The other two are, mm. but the Western is sort of where everyone in a row kind of makes the most right decisions and yeah, smart. Yeah. There's a scene, a vampire gets tied, a person, they can't kill him because, because he, they need him. He's an important character, but he's been turned into a vampire. So they tie him to a cactus. And so he's like in a cactus in the middle of the desert. And then they wrap Indian Navajo blankets around him. Oh, so he's on a cactus. He's oh, on a shit. cactus like this, and he's like all the things, and he looks like this cloaked thing, crucified, hanging in the desert, and that's the poster, you know, like, oh, and the sun brutal. beating down onto him. But they lay all the blankets on him, so if he moves, the blankets will fall off and he'll burn alive. So he's just fucking awesome, dude. He just has to stand like that. It's, there's a bunch of cool shit in that one. There's, I love a good set piece. Like that's that's like a, a nice little set piece. You know, oh, it's so good like when you get a good set piece. When you get a good like, it all builds to that one image, and yeah, it's like, yeah. get away from her, you bitch. It's like, oh, I remember when I saw that thing from before. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, so once again, I know, like, like you can't 
I don't know what you can and cannot talk about this. Sure. This is a big one because I know Beard, he's he fucking loves American Werewolf. It's his favorite werewolf movie of all time. I fucking love that. Oh, movie I can too. I can talk about that. I can talk okay. about American okay. Werewolf as much as you want me to. Okay. I didn't want to like, you know, step on any toes and be like, hey, you know. But anyway, so what was your version going to be like? Because I know there were rumors that it was supposed to be part of the 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 whole dark universe. Right. right? It wasn't. It wasn't. I wrote oh, it a wasn't. from the Black Lagoon for the Dark Universe. Oh, okay, um, okay. But it never got made. It was really cool. Sure. It was about a, a Disney World-style water park that gets flooded during a hurricane, <laughs> and the creature gets swept in during that. That's, that's and, awesome. And, awesome. And, and you're in a you're you're in a Hurricane Katrina, mid Hurricane Katrina scale hurricane in Disney World, but it would be a fake oh, theme awesome. park we invented called Starland, mm-hmm. and it it was. You're with the disaster relief workers trying to find a lost kid, and the creature is there, and oh, it's pretty fucking cool. It was fucking, a pretty cool script, yeah. It's like Alien in Disneyland. That's fucking yes. badass, dude. It was That's, Alien in Disneyland, yeah. and that. well, he's you know he's sort of not alien. He's sort of his own weird. Yeah, yeah. The creature's so inscrutable. Like he's just what's his deal? He's weird. But so that was really fun. My American Werewolf was essentially. A more fleshed out American Werewolf in London. I'm very proud of the script. I'm not allowed to release it. Uh, of course. They say. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's frustrating because I'm really proud of it. I think it's one of my better scripts. I was very, basically, it was American Werewolf. It was, it, a lot of it followed the exact structure of the, of the first, of the first film. Um, but I fleshed it out in a bunch of ways that were really I think cool and fun and interesting. And it was very, I think it's very funny. I, I really am. Uh, an example is uh, it's, it's slowly built. There's a bunch of different things I did with thematic stuff, but like an example of concrete, like plot stuff I changed was there's this guy, Donald who lives in the little shitty town they go to where the slaughtered mm-hmm. lamb is. And okay. he's this like, he's their age. But he's this horrible, stupid, prick, North English guy who would be like Donald Gleason or someone. And he mm-hmm. and, you know, red haired, just like skinny, mean British guy who hates them. And they they see him fighting with the locals in the slaughtered lamb. And one of them is his dad. And when they go off the road, it always kind of fucked with me in American Werewolf that you just cut to them and they're off the road. It always mm-hmm. felt very movie. It always was like. Oh, is this what is this? Bob Hope and Bing Crosby? There's a road movie. We're just cutting. Like, and now they accidentally. Whoops! The 1950s. Did, oh, we're did, in you, a did, did you ever look at your dad and was like, "What's up with that?" No, like, of course I know. I, I talked to him about it a lot. I told I told him he loves it. That's the worst thing about not being able to release it is my dad loves my American Werewolf, and it's so yeah. rare I get like a really good review oh. from him. And like, and it kills me. But so, so now the reason they go off the road is Donald after fighting with his family is drunk on his Vespa and he almost hits them. And then he, he goes off the road and David throughout the first part, David has been seemed like the nice guy. And Jack is the guy being like, let's just have fun. And David, David goes, is there no British asshole unworthy of your charity, David? We're going off the road into the dark, into the murder woods. That's you fucking asshole. Are you kidding? And David's like, well, no, maybe you got hurt. And you can hear Donald going, 
I'm fine. Fuck you. Don't come down here. Don't come down here. Fuck you. And Jack is going, he's telling us not to go down there, David. He was rude to us in the bar. He's a rude man we don't know. Let him die. Let let him die. Yeah, It's a funny script. And so they go down there and they, they get separated immediately and they end up in the mists. And all the same shit happens. Jack gets killed. David gets mauled. Um, it, it happens in a way cooler way because instead of being attacked, I needed to keep changing things so I wasn't doing beat for beat. So like you yeah. think it's going to be the werewolf when they're hearing something going around, but really it's a truck with a guy from the bar who was like, I came to get you, you know, like, don't worry yeah, about yeah. it. So the tension of the scene totally deflates and it totally is like, oh, thank God. And then the truck gets hit from the side by the werewolf and turned on its side oh, and it has you know, awesome. big lights on it. And in the fog, so it's like this crazy, I want to direct, it's this crazy image of the rig lights spraying up through the fog on the side of the truck, and then the werewolf comes in front of it, so it's like a silhouette of a wolf against the light, and the guys are like, whoa, and they get, all the same shit happens, I super- Right there's your poster, right there's the- (laughs) I did so many, I tried to do so many like, and this is the poster. And this is the poster. Yeah. <laughs> and so Donald, the big change of the plot is that Donald gets sent to kill David in London. Oh. That's so there's this like Danny Boyle lock, stock, and two smoking barrels element to it as this like fumbling millennial North English guy tries to murder oh. this dude. And then the big, do you want to know sort of the bigger twist of the movie? Yeah, no, fire away. Because, I mean, this is the only way we're ever going to really know, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> so, basically, I really fleshed out the the nurse, Alexis, Jenny Agutter's character. Mm-hmm. I made her someone who's, like, miserable in their lives and who has lost all sense of hope and magic for the world because she's been working on the Terminal Ward for kids. And that's why she, like, takes a random American home from the hospital and fucks him. Uh, And like, I made it make way more sense. She's like, in a way, she's like kind of a way messier point in her life. I was going to say, she just seemed really friendly. It made me want to go to England. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go backpacking, Chad. We got to go backpacking. We got to go. There's a whole part where she's alone. One of the introductions to the character, because when we, after David gets attacked, it's like the Alexis movie for six minutes. Oh, um yeah, yeah. getting to know her as like a random girl in london who's like you see her the your first introduction to her is in the back of a cab incoherently drunk doing the to the window to the wall <laughs> like that and her friend is in the cab like like <laughs> trying to oh, and great. she's lost all hope in the world because she works on terminal kid ward and there was one kid who started to get better and when he started to get better there were all these balloons and cakes and candy for him and people were visiting him every day, but then the cancer came back and it got worse and less and less people were there and now he's dead. And she just had to clean up all the balloons out of the room. Oh, that's fucked. And so so she's like, she's like, there is no other world. There is no other life. I, there's no magic left in the world. She stopped talking to her family. But then when Jack shows back up, as the ghost, I do way more with it. It's like a full-on buddy movie. And he's yeah. they get into they do the bit I was telling you about because he has this whole romance with Alexis and trying to pretend Jack isn't there, but then Jack goes, 
Jack's like, you have to kill yourself, man. You're going to turn to the werewolf, all this stuff, you know. And I let you have your little before sunrise moment with this fucking girl. I let you do it, dude. So just kill yourself now. And David goes, what the fuck is before sunrise? What are you talking about? And Jack goes, you have to kill yourself, man. He goes, no, what are you talking about? He goes, you haven't seen before sunrise. Seriously, Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy. And he goes, no. And he goes, David, how have you seen no movies? You've never seen anything. And David's like, I just don't like movies that much. He goes, you have to see Before Sunrise. You just did it with this nurse. And then you just hard cut to them sitting there yes. Before Sunrise. Fuck yes. I'm so <laughs> glad. I was, I was hoping, I'm like, please, God, tell yeah, me. It's just and, them and, and, fucking and just David, decrepit sitting on the couch yeah, he's watching this and, he, and then they get into this. It goes into this whole se- sequence where he's like, David, the gas has been totally taken out of Jack. So he's like, what are we doing? Well, she's not going to, I'm not going to turn to the wolf till tomorrow. So like. We never got to go to London. And then it's Penny Lane. There is a bar. It's them all over London. It's like a montage of him and the dead guy. And you keep David talking to no one, but Jack's really there. So he can touch things and move. He's a ghost. He's like a real ghost. He's not a hallucination. So you see like the, you know, the, the guards, you know, and David goes like with his iPhone and Jack knocks the guy's hat off. And David's like, like it's i love Dude, it. i well, that's fucking that is awesome like i always like, wondered how that would happen like how would the they big dark twist yeah yeah let's fucking hear it so i always thought it was really crazy that american werewolf david doesn't kill himself because yeah. the situation mm-hmm. gets so dark and it's so clear that what he's done that he's putting other people in risk and i wanted to suicide i'm sorry i'm talking about this a lot i really love talking about this yeah yeah no this is no this is okay i love this shit i've always wanted to know oh sick sick okay then you'll you'll think this is cool i hope so david like super 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 in the first movie comes across as selfish but just because the stakes are seem unfairly high and like it it feels suddenly like a serious like the grimness of it is almost overwhelming and i was like well why what what could be interesting interpersonally in a dynamic of one friend telling another friend, kill yourself. Hmm. Like, what could I do with that? So what's revealed throughout the movie uh, through their friendship, because they're kind of in denial about it, is that David cheated on his girlfriend and they were all in one friend group. And it came out and the whole friend group hates David now. And Jack is the only one who's still his friend. And you took me to England and I went on your little feel sorry for me trip and your little soul searching thing. And you're so full of shit, Dave. You gave me the worst place on earth and I fucking die. Go. I hate you, man. I hate you so much. (laughs) When you kill yourself, I'm going to love it, man. I just, oh God, you don't, don't say that, man. That's so fucked up of you to say. I don't, I wouldn't really love it if you killed yourself, but you do have to because you are a werewolf. And that's just, it's like, so the dynamic is totally different. And there's this whole moment where David calls his ex-girlfriend when he's about to jump off a bridge. And he's, and she's like, he's like, I want you to know that, you know, like, I'm so sorry and all this stuff. And she's like, David, why are you calling? Didn't Jack die? Shouldn't you be like talking about your best friend who died? And David goes, oh, it's been so fucked up because he's still here. It doesn't feel like he's dead at all. <laughs> oh my God. And then and his ex-girlfriend's on the phone like, he's like, she already hates this guy. And then he just buries himself so far. He's like, oh yeah, and I hooked God. up with this random nurse and I turned to where I killed three people, I think. And she's like, 
what the fuck? And she goes, please don't call me again. And so he does ultimately try to kill himself. He jumps off the roof of the movie theater after being chased. It's so dope. I do all this mass shooting stuff subtly. Like it's, I said that in a little too excited of a voice, yeah. but there's this, there's this whole part where Donald is in Piccadilly Circus in a movie theater with a double barrel shotgun and Donald's yeah. dad ends up getting killed in this way. That's like very frustrating. And it's, it's all the stuff of the London lockdowns and stuff with all the CCTV. I did a bunch of cool, I think visual stuff with CCTV cameras and all that and kind of Banksy type the, yeah. the, the sort of their cameras everywhere in London. So when, the first time you see the werewolf's rampage, you see it all found footage. That's fucking awesome. Pro- which is really, that's really cool. Uh, because I want to hide the wolf for as long as possible for budget yeah, reasons yeah. and also for, to build it. Like the first one. Oh, you have to have yeah. to build it, have to build it, which is and why the first one delivered to me so well. It, it cuts loose at the end. That's what mm-hmm. I love about it. It goes, yeah, he crashes a bus. Like, in in the end of American World, it goes, yeah, this incident will change the world. This is international news. Yeah. This is international news. This is a world-changing incident. Werewolves are real. Yeah, so I really commit to that at the end, too. But basically, David tries to kill himself. He jumps off the roof. And it's really funny because Jack's going, do it, David, do it. And then he does it. And Jack goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. But he hits the ground and he doesn't die. All his bones are broken and he's all fucked up and the moon is coming up and Jack starts going, what? What? He tried? That is so (laughs) fucked up. This is so fucked up. I didn't think you were going to do it, David. You're so brave, but this is so fucked up. It must, oh, it looks like it really hurts. And he turns from the puddle of human into the werewolf, Piccadilly Circus Rampage, uh, crazy mayhem. He's shot by the police, but he also bites Donald, the son. He ends up mauling. Oh, no. But right before he's killed, Alexis not only saw him transform, he lands right in front of her when he tries to kill him. It's really brutal. Mm. Uh, But not only saw him transform into the werewolf, but then had this up-close encounter with it. Remember when she's in the alley and she's like, David? I do that except for I play it like gorillas in the mist. Where she, instead of it being a horror movie moment, at the end of this crazy horror movie sequence, she's like, it's a werewolf. Magic's real. So she gets this sense of something bigger and you see it like register for her. And then it goes, the police shoot it. And then the final two beats of the movie are Donald's in the ambulance and he's all fucked up. And the two guys, you know, they managed to finally they have a big emotional conversation where they get through their blocks and David killing himself represents him admitting he was wrong to his friend by murder, literally killing yourself. But so they're, they're both in the ambulance or uh, Donald's in the ambulance and he's like on all these stuff. He's a shitty guy on all this like IVs and shit. And he looks and Jack all like rotting, falling apart on this is sitting on the thing next to him. And then he looks and David naked with a bunch of bullet holes is sitting and he looks at him and Jack goes, Donald, guess what? You say it. And Jack and David goes, Donald, you got to kill yourself. <laughs> oh, dude, that's so fucking good. I'm, 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 you cut back the final you credits, credits, and then you can bop it, bop it, dang, dang, dang. But then you cut back to the hospital and it's her friend, the nurse's friend is coming into work 
and all these people running around. It's what's going on? There was something crazy in Piccadilly Circus. There was a man with a gun and some kind of animal got loose. Yeah, what? Holy shit. Yeah, we have about 155 people coming in. It's mostly bite marks. God damn. God damn. We were robbed. <laughs> we were robbed of this movie. Werewolf Dude, that's Apocalypse so sequel. It's so fucking good. That is just... Thank it you. definitely adds It adds a lot of substance uh, to the original. Uh, yes, like a lot. Which is great, because there was a lot of things, like I said, like Chad said, one of my favorite movies. I've always said, uh, don't touch Back to the Future, don't touch American Werewolf in London, and I'm good. And uh, that, actually, the way that you... Uh, explained it and pitched it would add a lot of substance to a lot of scenes where you're kind of like, wait, why is this happening? Yeah. Because yeah. American Werewolf and, is so good it gets away with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's so good it gets away with it. But when you're revisiting mm-hmm. it, you got to, if if you're making a remake, you got to remake. You got to take mm-hmm. what's there yeah. and do the best you can to capture on the feelings that maybe felt like they were already there somewhere, but they didn't. You know, I didn't want to add, there's a sense of being pursued in American Werewolf. So I gave it a character. I gave yeah, it a yeah. character. There's this, you know, the the biggest change I made and the most controversial thing in the entire script. Um, and it is controversial, but it's controversial in the original movie. But was, remember when he dreams about the Nazi guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I changed that. This wasn't subtle. I changed that to be he dreams that he got home. And it's like Christmas in Chicago. And there's like, he's in a shopping mall with all these people around. And then it starts to fill up with the mist from the moors. And he loses his family. And he's like, where's my family? What's going on? And then he sees his mom and his dad over by a toy store and everything's normal again. And it sort of plays like, oh, maybe he did make it home and he's just hallucinating. But then a, uh, like a IED, like a pipe bomb, goes off in the front of the toy store, blows apart two of the kids. And the kids are like spread apart. And then a guy with a M16, you know, an, AR, an AR-15. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Starts going boom, boom, boom. And the families while they're shopping and it's a mass shooting, except for the mass shooter as he gets closer, he keeps, his body keeps going like that until you finally get a good look at him. And, you know, it's that horrible werewolf face. Yeah. And it's like, oh no. But I just wanted to do something the movie is really intense and dark while also being really funny and, and, and like heartfelt and, and about a friendship and about a relationship. But I did want to put something in it that really made people sit up and, yeah. you know, and, and I, 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 it's, it's interesting because writing that script, I had to sell that pitch to my dad. Like, yeah, uh, that's, oof. It was, it was, people are like, you know, you talk about nepotism. You think John Landis wants there to be a bad version of fucking American werewolf in London? Yeah. Like, you think he gives two shits I'm his kid if I gave him a bad pitch? Like, oh my God. Like, that's his legacy. So it was, it was such an important thing. And then things happened the way they did and it didn't happen. And what's, what's, what's interesting is I, I got paid for it. So they own it. So one of the weirdest things is if there is a remake of American Werewolf in London eventually for some reason, they can just use whatever of my ideas they want. Yeah. And that's happened to me a couple of times. I've written uh, only a, only a, a handful, but I've written movies 
or or ideas that uh, for that I was paid to write, and then the ideas show up or echoes of them show up in the movie that's eventually made. Um, and it's always really interesting to experience that. Yeah, I another thing, um, you know, co- coming off of I'm not trying to come off of American Werewolf right now, but um, American Ultra, right? Oh yeah, like, dude, I love that movie. But I feel like they they marketed that so poorly, so poorly, it's, it's so strange. It's, it's so fucking weird because I tell people to watch this movie all the goddamn time, and they're like, "Well, the trailer doesn't look that interesting." Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "You have no fucking clue. Very it's unique. Like, you've got to watch this goddamn movie." Yeah, it's a strange but, one. It's I, I don't know. I, I loved writing that movie, but it's just the studios. I guess I, I don't know if studios is. The, the people that have the final say, the execs, whoever. Well, it's the marketing. It's weird. You know, the people, people don't talk enough about how the head of marketing in a studio is basically like one of the most powerful fucking jobs in the entire, it, it, it's up near the tippity top. Yeah. Like right up there with head of production and everything. Like it's that level because if you can't yeah. sell the art. So like, excuse me. So those guys get massive, massive budgets to promote things. And it, yeah. re- it really is on the people in charge of marketing to get the movie across because so many great movies have been defeated by their marketing. So many great movies weren't pitched correctly to the public or leaned on a, a lazy angle instead of trying something interesting. And so many movies have been made by their marketing and have mm-hmm. succeeded. Barbarian, I really believe, succeeded off a poster. Yes. Oh, yes. oh yes. thank you. Thank that. God somebody else has said. Yeah, and like and and it, it it becomes about how you angle an idea and what what you can evoke. And yeah, American Ultra was is very strange marketing, especially for such a dark sort of uh intense movie. It really kind of it really kind of tried to market it in the more Seth Rogany vein. Yeah, and it's yeah. weird because when people sometimes when people talk about it, uh, they talk about it as like it's like Stoner's Jason Bourne, and it is that, but that's not what the tone of the movie is. Like yeah. it's, its its own thing. It's more like Jason Bourne than Stoner's versus Jason Bourne. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. a like weird drama about a, a small town couple that gets intersected by like a high octane violent action movie, and it's the one my one regret on that movie really. I think Chris and Stewart, Jesse Eisenberg are incredible. But my one regret on that movie is that they did shoot, Nima, the director, did shoot a couple of the scenes in the first act that established them more as a couple that got cut out for time. And, you know, I've seen like 20 cuts of that movie. And Mm -hmm. uh, I find myself missing them in the final. I find myself wishing we got to spend a little more time because they have such sweet chemistry. They've played a couple, three times. Like, wild to think about. That is strange. Like, yeah, it's but it's it's an awesome movie. Like, um, I, I'm not sure how much uh, of your script elements ended up in the final cut. One hundred percent. It's fucking good, dude. American, like, American. I, you know, Nemo only made it better. American Ultra, Mister Right, Chronicle, Shadow on the Cloud. Um, they're all basically very. I'm very lucky that they're all very close to my script. Victor Frankenstein yeah. gets further away. The movie I directed, Me Him Her, got pretty far away because I was just trying to make it work. And then Bright is the only one that's like markedly different uh, than than what I wrote. Um, And then, of course, on Dirt Gently, on my show, I got to write everything. And I want to talk about my writer's fucking shit. What? 
not to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. But you yeah, mentioned Victor Frankenstein, and I was curious what part of Victor Frankenstein was yours that you that they actually used because I enjoyed the point of view of the movie. Yeah, the whole the whole like first and a lot of the second act. Um, basically, everything ever after the monkey gets mm-hmm. a little different than my script. And then it gets more and more and more and more different until you get to this place where it's unrecognizable from my script. And the whole ending is different. And, you know, also tonally, uh, Victor Frankenstein is very different than the script. The the, the movie went for this sort of more irreverent Sherlock Holmesian sort of stylized look and tone. And the script kind of isn't like that. The script's funny, but it's, it's meant to be sort of more sand and fog, Nolan-y, you know, shadow in London, you know, not so yes. much Willy Wonka looking, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that, you know, the circus looks very like Cirque du Soleil. Whoa, crazy stuff. And like, that's not really how it looked in the script. It was a sort of a grimier, it's a grimier vibe in the script because I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to do a Victor Frankenstein movie where we built it from the ground up. Instead of instead of coming into this guy's journey, I wanted to see the process of two of two dudes making this thing. And what's really weird is originally in my first script, you know, they don't make Frankenstein. They don't make the monster Frankenstein. Even at the yes. end, they don't. the thing at the end of my the original draft I sold to that script has two heads, and and is built is it's this whole other sequence. And it's such a cool sequence and the way it gets killed involves being getting impaling it through two hearts. And there's this wonderful thing where Victor does the right thing and saves Igor and impales it on a spike through one of its hearts. But then it grabs him and like shish kebabs him onto it. So when Igor is fighting it with a torch, Victor is impaled on the front of it going, ah, like that. And there was a bunch of shit. It was really cool. And it was very emotional in a different way. Yeah. The first and second act of that movie are very emotional and very about relationships and very, and a lot of that's me. A lot of so that's stuff. That, all of those parts, it sounds to me like the parts that I enjoyed the most about okay, the movie good. was the stuff that you had wrote. <laughs> Once it becomes like the military wants you to build an army of monsters, that was sort of not, that was not, and my, the original script had this crazy ending where it was so cool. And I really thought we were going to do it. Where Victor and Igor, at the end of my original, the detective who's haunting them, who is super religious and, and hates Victor, Turpin. He hates Victor and, and he wants to shut him down, but then he goes crazier and crazier and he loses his hand. In my original draft, they're hunt, he hunts them all the way to fight the big monster when they create that, but then he's killed really tragically because he doesn't understand what's going on. And they still did that in the new one, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're wanted all over England. They can't come back. And the final image of him is he goes, Guh! and he wakes up in the ruins of the castle and he has the fork that brings you back to life. So they did, and he sees that they did surgery on him while he was dead. And so in the original script, he was like losing more and more touch with reality and with his daughter as he was going crazy. They cut all the daughter stuff out of the movie, I think. But yeah, but he's like a crazy detective still in the movie. And that's all from my script. But then he totally loses touch with his daughter. And then the end of the movie, 
is, and he's become obsessed with the case and Christianity. The end of the movie is he's brought back to life and you see him, he reunites with his daughter and he's like past it. He accepts it as a miracle. He's like, science is the miracle, you know? And so, but then the end of the movies, you don't know where Victor and Victor and Igor went. And then you cut to the old West because it would be canonically the same time. Yeah. This black cowboy, Ben, and Ben is coming into town outside the Grand Canyon. And he's worried because this guy keeps making comments to him about his gun because Ben has a very fancy gun. And he's, where'd you get that gun? You stole that gun. You stole that gun. I should take that gun. I should take that off your hands, buddy. You should, you get caught with a gun like that, a black man in this town, you get caught with that gun. They're going to know you stole it. And Ben is like, motherfucking guy. And he goes, and then someone ends up recognizes it, recognizing him and is like, oh, you're maybe going to be the marshal in the town. You know, like Blazing Saddles style. Like, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. like, oh, you're here. And he's like, yeah, I got sent. I'm not liking the attitude on this guy out front. So he goes to the bar and the guy won't stop harassing him. And so he goes out and he's going to showdown with the guy and it's going to be an Old West shootout. It's like this three minute sequence in the Old West at the end of Victor Frankenstein. And the whole movie uh, in the original draft, the problem is Victor nor Igor are good at fighting and are not tough. So every time they're in a bad situation, they have to run away. And throughout the movie, Victor always says, we need a third man. And the brains, you're the hands, I'm the brains, and he's the body. And together we stitch the hands onto the body. We shove in the brains and that's the man we need. And Igor, you cut to Igor like, <laughs> but uh that's from the first draft of the script but so the end of the movie is old west shootout ben wins and then a guy shoots him in the back and he's killed and then you hear and electricity you're on a hot air balloon in a lightning storm over the grand canyon and it's going oh, like that and ben is strapped to this thing being brought back to life and in the hot air balloon uh, fucking, you know, what the fuck is that actor's name? He's so great. Split. James McAvoy, Victor, mm-hmm. is in the air balloon and Radcliffe's behind him and the guy comes back to life like that. And the final shot of the movie is them framed against the bland- Grand Canyon with lightning strikes behind them. And Victor goes, I say, old boy, have you ever been to England? And the movie ends. That was fucking good, dude. I was so sick. fucking good. But they were like, and they liked it at first. It's, uh, you know. That was a fucking crazy script. I'm having so much fun pitching to you guys. I have to like go to yoga soon. Oh, oh no. no. You're, you're totally that. fine. You're totally fine. Um, I'm having so I, much, I, What else do you guys want to talk about? We, so, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're, you're Okay. Fine. Well, I, I had two more questions. Sure. I, I don't know if you can. Uh, I'll be I sure fucking love. I pitch you whole things. I'm oh, sorry. you're good, dude. I, I would love to have you back on just to fucking talk <laughs> about whatever. Um, Dirk Gently. Uh, yeah. Goddamn, dude. That is one of my favorite shows, and I, I am so fucking pissed that we didn't get a season three. Like, oh, it sucks. Um, I'm, I'm not too big a man to say it sucks. It sucks. I, I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm heartbroken that that never happened. But anyway, that show got me through the pandemic, basically. Like, I, I was just like, fuck oh, yeah, dude. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe this is too loaded of a question for now, but sure. like, what were your plans for season three? Because I, I heard once that Elijah Wood said had uh, you you guys pitched you pitched season three basically. I right? did to, to season five, yeah. Oh goddamn! I knew, oh. I knew, and then I didn't have more. I had an ending in yeah. season five, and I didn't have like extra stuff. 
Five's like, good. All, it, Five's it good. All, yeah, it all built to something. Season three was really... I mean, trying to pitch a season of Dirk Gently it short is impossible. Yeah, I know. I, um, that's why I was like, I don't even know if I should ask this question. But I, I just, I love that show. The, so the much. coolest, I mean, you could ask about like what, a character if you like a character, and I could tell you like their kind of arc through the season because it, it was yeah. so, it was so fucking. Season three was like kind of a return to the more gritty feeling of season one. Because mm-hmm. um, I, we needed to go to that fantastical place to sort of establish some things I wanted. And I was very happy with that. But then we were kind of returning to a darker, more gritty tone like season one um, and, and more street level, more Fargo, like Fargo in space. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things we were doing in season three that I thought was really interesting was it's it's the first ever a person comes to the detective agency with a case. And it's the first time that's ever happened to Dirk. Yeah, so Dirk yeah. is now being treated instead of just being like an agent of the universe. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's holistic. We're just going to go figure this out. It's like he's being asked to solve a case with a specific outcome. Yeah. And yeah. so, the, but the case is a woman arrives at the detective agency and she comes in and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come in here. I don't know what this place is. I'm looking for somewhere. This office used to be a different office. Uh, and Dirk's like, this off, you know, Todd, it's like, this place has been empty for a long time. Like, we're the first thought. And she's like, oh, well, I would just meant to come into, I thought this was my old, my friend's office. She goes back outside and they're like, okay. And then she comes back in and she's like, I can't find my car keys. Can I, can I use one of your, you know, I can't find my car keys. Can I, can I use the phone here? And they're like, yeah. And they take out a cell phone and she looks at it and she's like, what's that? And they're like, what? She doesn't recognize an iPhone. She's like very confused by a touchscreen cell phone. Oh, and, and she's like, okay, I'm going back outside. And they find her in the parking lot. And she goes, my car isn't here. And this street's like way different. And they find out she has been missing for 19 years. God damn. And she just showed up in their parking lot looking for her car keys. So the case of the third season is, where are her car keys? And Dirk has to figure out where he has to find this pair of lost car keys. But it takes, it goes to this insane level that like, it's so cool. It like, it's, there's this old thing with this like super wealthy Mexican family and aliens and uh, uh, b- human beings abducting aliens is what <laughs> is one of the big twists midway through the season. It was, it was, I was really proud of it. It was, it was very Dirk Gently. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was, there was all sorts of fun stuff where, because I like the continuity of the show, we kept referencing previous things, but in subtle, like ways, I was very excited, but yeah, it's a, it's heartbreaking. What, was everybody on board to come back for a season three? It seemed like everybody I mean, was like, we got yeah, greenlit. yeah, yeah, we yeah. Got greenlit, but we didn't, we got replaced by fucking, uh, we got replaced by fucking, it was a Walking Dead show. It had no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was a show that was great that everybody loved. Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Okay. Yeah, because BBC, we didn't. We were doing pretty good. We were doing okay in the ratings, and we got really good reviews. Yeah. But we actually found out it was being. It wasn't coming back like earlier that summer, and that's why I put. That's why I put such like a definitive ending on season two, where like everybody's. Yeah. You could yeah. kind of walk away with it instead of it being more of a dark cliffhanger like season one. Yeah. Because we. Had I definitely a- love it. 
Oh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, dude, it, it's it's awesome. Um, I know you got to get going, so I'll I'll, I'll ask no, those two questions. Uh, we can do another question. Um, okay, for sure. Um, so one of the big questions we always like to ask people on this show, and this is this is a loaded one: Have you had a paranormal experience, or have you witnessed any UFOs in your life? So I used to tell a lie. <laughs> okay. Okay. I had a ghost story I would tell. And I'd tell it very convincingly. <laughs> and I had I had a weird thing I told on another podcast that wasn't a lie, where I thought I heard a voice in the middle of the night at a boarding school I was in. Okay. And, but that, even that felt like maybe it could have been the house and wasn't, I always feel like there's some explanation. Like I've gone looking for these things and nothing yeah. happens to me. I saw one of my most memorable experiences in my life was when I thought I saw a UFO, but I now know what that was. Hmm. Um, but it took years for me to realize what it was, which it was is Chinese I saw, Bobbling, wasn't it? It, it, was this, <laughs> it was no, it was we were driving out in uh in in the desert in West Texas, when we were driving my my 2005 Honda Civic across the country in college, and in the middle of the night, my friend, I think my friend Dustin was driving, and I was resting, or maybe I was driving, and it was with Dustin, Chris, and David, R.I.P. Chris. Uh, but we were driving, and we saw a little orange light on the horizon at like 2 a.m., and it was like, and then it went. And went over the car, and it was this orange, like it looked like a, a, like a. I mean, it's if I say what it is, you'll immediately know what it is. But that it, yeah. when you don't have context for seeing what a drone looks like, the light on a drone, and it was a military thing. They were it was like two thousand, yeah. maybe seven, and they were clearly testing something. But the way it moved, it was a circle, kind of. And we thought it was way bigger than it was when mm. we first saw it because of the light. But now knowing the way it moved, it was probably like a little remote-controlled drone. And so for a while, that was my UFO sighting. But now I'm pretty sure when I see a drone, oh, it looks just like that. Like it doesn't, there's yeah. not like margin of the first time you see that little green and red light in the sky, you know, with a drone going around and someone mm -hmm. with an arrow. And so, like, I, the one thing I get is apophenia, uh, pareidolia, where I get that really bad sometimes to a degree that it feels supernatural, hmm. where I'll think the other week, this is not an impressive story, but the other week I, I was saying on the phone to my friend, I think this will be a big win. And then five seconds later in the YouTube video I was watching, the guy said, I think this will be a big win. And like, I've experienced a lot of little things like that, but who knows if that's just like the onset of schizophrenia or like, <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like they are. I, I can relate. I, I've had that happen a lot, especially like when the last couple of like, I want to say like from October to December, that shit happened to me like constantly. Yes, like, same. Just patterns and things that I, I'm just like, why am I seeing this? Like what well, is it's going Matrix on? It's breaking down. Yeah, it's not it's not out of the realm of our wheelhouse here because we've talked everything from time travel to universes to time slips to cryptids to 
So all of it's under this huge umbrella of fantastical maybe, and uh, we're I trying wanna, to. Oh my God, I wanna, I'd wanna see a, a Sasquatch in the wild so bad. Because I, I, I have you, have you ever had an experience with just like an animal? That's like that where where you encounter an animal in the wild and it's like, oh, he's right there. Yeah, like something he, really elusive. Like a like, like I saw a moose. And, yeah, yeah. and we were looking at each other like you're over there and I'm over here and we see each other and you're big. You're giant and I'm small and yeah. I'm in the wilderness right now. And like that was really emotional and powerful and intense to even see a fucking moose. And like one, <laughs> one time I had that dumbly enough with a manatee uh, in the Keys in Florida where he was on the beach with me. And I was like, wow, we're just on the beach together. You're a manatee and we're having this experience together. And then like having that with Sasquatch, that would be like the most special, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it would be like, interesting. I, I, I used to have a weird vivid dream where I was riding a roller coaster with Sasquatch, but we were running from the FBI. So, I mean, the fuck? get off the roller coaster. It takes yeah. you back to the start. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't in the dream though it just kept going it's how we outran them oh that's the dream roller coaster yeah it's the, the roller coaster that you escape on i when i ride roller coasters yeah. a lot i'll like let myself feel like oh this is what it would feel like to be like held by be a superhero this is what the g-forces yeah. yeah. would feel like on your body this is what it would feel like to kind of be iron man and when you think of it that way being a superhero suddenly seems like this incredibly visceral and intense experience of like wind whipping past your ears. And like, you know, like being a superhero seems like wild when you, when you like physically place yourself yeah. in it, if that makes yeah. sense. No, no. Yeah. Well, some of it seems really painful. Like I wouldn't want to be the thing. You know? Yeah. Oh like, God. I don't know why that just seems like, if you really think about being the thing, that's like really body horror. Like, yeah, that's like, mm -mm. this is some Cronenberg shit. What's your like penis that. look like? Yeah, it's like I need to know. <laughs> yeah, like what so, is you? How do you take a shit though? That's another good question. Like, like there's so many. These are like, goddamn. That's why you see all those stacked stones beside the rivers. It's <laughs> thing oh, wandering around taking big shits. It's, it's Ben Grimm taking those stacked stones. That explains everything. <laughs> it's fucking. I, so so I, I I'm so sorry. I have one final question. Okay, good. Germ's gonna kill me. Germ's gonna kill me if I don't ask this. Uh, he's a huge DC guy. Uh, the Long Halloween. He wanted to know who would you cast in a live action version of the Long Halloween. Oh, I know it's such a goddamn. Would you quarter. use Jensen Ackles that played the voice of Batman for the Long Halloween? No. <laughs> Oh, I like Jensen Ackles, but no, 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 no. Um, that's so hard. The long haul, I know, is asking I know. someone I... to cast the entire DC Rogues Gallery. I know it's fucking wild. Maybe um, Carmine Falcone. I think Brian Cranston. Oh, damn, that's really good. <laughs> that's real good. Yeah. Uh, and and really make touch in the long Halloween is such a long story that touch in on the feeling. The key of making a long Halloween movie would be the feeling of reality slipping away because mm -hmm. the long Halloween is the end of the Falcons. I think it's the all the murders and it's also two face, I believe. 
And it's also, you know, orchestrated ultimately by Calendar Man. Uh, Just a fucking character. So interesting. Um, Well, just the idea of a supervillain mastermind whose ideas play out over a long amount of time through many small incidences is really exciting. So one of the things you would have to do to make that movie work is it would have to be a whodunit. Um, You would have to change it so that Calendar Man could be a person we could meet without him being in the cell. Um, So that we wouldn't know who the Calendar Man killer is. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have it be like the standard domestic terrorist Batman story where it's a nebulous figure we're hunting. I would have there be suspects. So I think you have room for a lot of great actors and suspects. For Batman... I would like to cast for the Batman of the long Halloween. Wow. That's a different thing. Yeah. That's a really different thing. (laughs) You need a thoughtful, methodical actor with incredible screen presence. He doesn't need to be tremendously physical. Although there are some fights, but not too much. I think Liam Neeson, if he's not too old. I think I think portraying him as a sort of older Dark Knight adjacent, but sort of a different evolution than the Dark Knight Returns, an evolution more towards the detective than the brute. Mm-hmm. I think almost doing it like a Sherlock Holmes story. Or Ray Fiennes would also be an incredible Batman. Um, which is a crazy thing for me to say, maybe. I'm having a hard time picturing that, yeah. Because I'm not looking for Ray Fiennes, who I'm really looking for. You know who'd be wonderful? If you, 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 Jake Gyllenhaal would be a wonderful Batman. He would. He really fucking would. Yeah, and, and he could add, that's who I'm looking for. Because it's more about the presence and the quiet broodingness. He's bigger physically than Pattinson. He can actually yeah. do the fights in a realer way. But also, I, I'm now like going through a rogues gallery. What the fuck is his name? Lincoln and There Will Be Blood. Oh, Andrew Lincoln. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm thinking. Yeah. My, fault, my, fault, my fault. I'm walking dead. <laughs> what, what, what's, his, what's his name? The, he's like the great actor. My left foot. Um, oh, my God. He's in... Every great movie, uh, the the fucking um, he's in a, a, a fucking Phantom Thread. Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I think. God would be damn, a great I don't know my brain. Oh, that, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, I think Daniel Day Lewis is my final pick for bat, an elder Batman. And that's an that interesting I, pick. Yeah. Yeah, and really bring power to it. And I he's think I really want about the Joan all thing. Yeah, no, Gyllenhaal is interesting, and I think I want Leonardo DiCaprio to play Harvey Dent. Um, I think that would be really interesting because it's Long Halloween. This is like really smart, yeah. big filmmaking. Yeah, this is not a superhero nope. thing. It's like a weird, yeah, it's very out noir, noir yeah. mystery. And then Commissioner Gordon. I'm really like thinking about this. Sorry, I'm like really giving it a lot of consideration. I think I think it'd be really interesting to have like a younger Commissioner Gordon and an older Batman. 
What? <laughs> ice Cube. We're going Ice Cube. I, I was thinking Oscar, I... Oscar Isaacs. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I as see as that. new Commissioner Gordon who has to deal with the Batman and the Batman yeah. is like representative in the long Halloween of the tide of things changing from normal criminals to like crazy land. Uh, and, and by the end of it, it's like, you've been in crazy land this whole time with calendar man. It was, it's always been headed to the cartoon version of this story. Yeah. You know, you can't escape the Falcons. The real criminals are dying. The district attorney is turning into a monster. Gotham is a haunted house. Isn't Sol- is Solomon Grundy in long Halloween? I don't remember. It's been so long. Um, I feel like he is. Grundy is such a weird character. I'll have to ask him sometime. I think he is, actually. Don't quote me, but I think he is. Yeah, don't quote me either. Don't quote any of us from this. Yeah, Yeah, we're just... No, we don't... It's a podcast, people. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, I gotta go, guys. Yeah, dude, you're good, Max. Thank you for coming on, my dude. I I really appreciate it. What a pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk and talk about all these things we all like. Dude, fucking anytime. Anytime. No problem. It was Sammy Zane to get us started. That was fun. I know, right? We, we gotta keep that. We gotta keep that energy. Hey, maybe maybe some other time we can jump back in and talk some. Oh, I'd be I'd be happy to sometime. I'm, I'm getting my tailbone removed at the end of the month. Goddamn. Well, good luck with the surgery, big time. Yeah, like that's brutal. I'm not happy about it. I, I have, wouldn't be I, either. <laughs> it's. I'm gonna try to get them to put it in a lucite block. <laughs> what? what? I, I thought that would be pretty cool, right? You really well, mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Yeah, can they do that? Yeah, they can fuck do anything nowadays. What, yeah, you could do that for sure. If you can put a uh, a baconator in one of those blocks, then oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us again, Max, and uh, keep it spooky out there, everybody. Thank you so much. That was great, guys.